Hello and welcome. This is Hear Her Sports, the podcast for everyone who loves stories by and about women striving to improve in and outside of sport. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. Since the very first episode almost eight years ago, I've talked to female athletes from a range of sports, ages, abilities, and goals. Obviously, you're already here listening, but do check out the full list of other guests with all the show notes and images on hearhersports.com. Today, I am super excited because joining me is British professional squash player, Gina Kennedy. As regular listeners know, I took up squash this past February and absolutely love it. And I lucked out. Urban Squash Cleveland, a terrific facility, is right near me. They are an incredible program of academic support and squash for 5th through 12th graders. The team is competitive, and 100% of their students who play through high school graduate from high school and then go on to college. It's fun to be part of the program. The kids are great. And you know I love organizations that bring sports to all kids and to girls in particular, which Urban Squash Cleveland does really, really well. Also, the courts are beautiful and open to community members. Go to urbansquashcleveland.com for information about taking lessons, women's tournaments, becoming a member, or donating. I certainly hope there are at least a few people listening who are new or unfamiliar with the sport because Gina does a great job of explaining why it's such an enticing game. She also shared a bunch of noodly bits about playing squash and about the mental side of competing, including how to set yourself up to be, as she described it, a gladiator. Also related, we hear how Gina ended up a pro squash player instead of focusing on running, which she also did successfully as a kid and still finds helpful in her squash. Gina is top notch. She has won 11 titles in the PSA World Tour and is the 2022 Commonwealth Games gold medalist. When we talked in early November, she was ranked eighth in the world, but as of January 11th, she has moved up to sixth. Gina enjoyed a very successful junior career, holding nine national titles, a European title, and was ranked number one in England at every age group. In 2016, Gina began her studies at Harvard University. While there, she won the Women's Individual National Championships three times and the Team National Championships four times. Gina has also received many accolades for sportsmanship, including the Betty Ritchie Award and the Radcliffe Prize. She graduated from Harvard in 2020, and within eight months of playing on the professional circuit, she rose from world number 187 to world number 10. Hardly a surprise that meteoric rise was much discussed in the squash world because it really is amazing. Before we get to the conversation with Gina Kennedy, I am thrilled to report that the podcast Women's Running Stories and Hear Her Sports have partnered with the great running company, Wazelle. On Hear Her Sports podcast, my guests often talk about how much they value quality, well-fitting clothing and sports gear, because clothing is essential for athletes to perform their best, be safe while training and racing, and also just as importantly, to feel supported, considered, and listened to. Wazelle covers all of those bases. Founded in 2007, Wazelle is a bi-women-for-women athletic apparel brand rooted in running. It started as a quest for non-poofy running shorts, but soon transformed into a mission to design great product, build a sisterhood, and improve the sport. No matter where you live, your pace, or your personal relationship to the sport, Wazelle has you covered. Find out more by clicking the banner at the top of Hear Her Sports website, or go directly to wazelle.com. That's O-I-S-E-L-L-E dot com. And now, on to the show. 
Well, hello, and uh, welcome to Hear Her Sports. I'm so happy you're here. I don't know if you know I'm a squash player, so this is particularly exciting for me. Oh, amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, but squash is not a well-known sport. Whenever I tell people that I play squash, they're like, what? Is that pickleball? <laughs> and so for those people who don't really know the sport, could you describe it? You know, like, what's the best part of the game? What is your love of the game? What keeps you interested? And yeah, how would people know you're playing squash? Yeah, so um, like you said, squash is definitely quite a niche sport. It's definitely on the rise, but sadly not um, as many people are maybe particularly interested in it, particularly in the like mainstream media. But um, squash is, I'd describe it as quite like a gladiatorial sport. You're in a box of sort with one other person and you're confined to the same space. So you're moving around the same area of the court, which is quite unique. You know, in pickleball or tennis, you've got your own own part of the court but in squash you're battling for like those positions on the court that you share so it's definitely quite a gladiatorial sport and I know a lot of people describe it um that it has a few um links to chess in a way because it's a very tactical game and you're always trying to place the ball whilst thinking like three or four shots ahead to how you know how to kind of wait for your opportunity to attack and that's going to come from placing the ball in particular areas on the court so there's a lot to the sport which is why I absolutely love it I started off as a runner um, when I was younger and that obviously there's a there's a there's a lot more to squash in terms of the technical tactical physical side of things so that's what I love about it like every day I'm working on so many different things so it keeps it interesting but yeah it's definitely a great sport to watch Um, and what I love about squash is it doesn't matter what level you are as long as you're playing against somebody of a similar level it's such an exciting sport to watch so you could be two complete beginners or you could be two professional athletes and if you're the same level you're always going to get like an extremely physical intense tactical battle between two players so that's what I love about it. As a player it's interesting because you can be a beginner and it still is fun you don't have this like really long period of where you're just learning all sorts of skills until it can be fun. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, there's a big thing now about getting the right ball for your level. So if you are a complete beginner, there are balls that you can play with that will make it so you can like get the rally going. And as soon as you can get those rallies going, then like you said, it's so much fun. And I think the best thing about it for beginners, I think, is like the physical side of it, because you get such an amazing workout from it. And obviously, it's a lot better than like slogging out a gym session, a lot of people have said to me. So <laughs> right. um, I think that's a big, uh, like a big draw to the sport as well. You mentioned something that is so interesting to me about squash, which is you're on the same court, mm-hmm. which, you know, you you mentioned a little bit about that, but it leads to a lot of strange dynamics, you know, like mm-hmm. having to figure out where the ball is, but also where the other player is and like yeah. you bang into each other. And so <laughs> like, how did you learn how to figure that out? Yeah, it's, it's still, I guess it's still a learning curve a little bit because, you know, the rules are changing um, as time goes on in terms of the professional game and stuff that you can and can't get away with, you know, because like you said, you're sharing the same space. There is a lot of room for a bit of, gamesmanship in a way where you can you know take up a bit more space than maybe you should on a shot just to make it a bit more difficult for your opponent to go around ah you clever Um, person (laughs) yeah exactly and that's a big thing in the professional game actually but um the the refs are really um are really onto that now but I think I honestly think it's a great thing because as a junior obviously when you're like marking yourselves and 
or you've got a fellow junior marking you I think it's really important to learn how to kind of move around each other in a fair in a fair manner and how to how to like deal with with that because you know like if if you are a squash player you'll know the lingo of the no lets the lets the strokes and the referee can determine kind of the outcome of a match sometimes and I think just learning to like play around your opponent to give them access and to give yourself access and just be as fair as possible is like a really good thing to learn when you're younger just and it can translate to like every sport then can't it because if you can learn to be fair in that environment where you can really you know (laughs) have physical contact with your opponent then I think it's gonna help you play fair in a lot of other sports yeah squash is definitely more um sort of full contact than I thought it was going to be yeah it really is and obviously when I'm watching you know especially beginners play that's why the goggles I think are a great idea because that ball can it it is quite dangerous and yeah and then if you do watch the professional game you definitely see a lot of you know legs sticking out a bit of extra movement which you know makes sense when you're you're this is your job you're playing for points you're playing for prize money so yeah it's all about trying to keep it as fair as possible (laughs) yeah and and just to be clear there are times where you know the judge will call people out and the point will be replayed or I don't know all the intricacies of yes definitely and if the ref thinks that you know you're not you're taking up more space than you should or you're not allowing your opponent a fair access then yeah you can get points given against you it's quite common now actually in the professional game that players will get you know um kind of points deducted from them because of their movement so it's a big big talking point at the moment I think (laughs) I do also like that you know originally when I was watching some of the pro players it looked like the well I should say originally when I was watching the good players where I play it looked like the men were sort of demanding space more than the women but I think it's just because they're the women are not as good as the men I'm I'm getting myself into a lot of trouble here (laughs) but it just you know, like you have to demand your space, which I think is such a great lesson in addition to sort of just general body awareness. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think I suppose the men are bigger than women, aren't mm. they? So they definitely take up more space, but I suppose, yeah, may, I think, um, maybe they're because I suppose they're stronger than us, aren't they? Maybe the rallies last a bit longer. So the men definitely tend to have a few more like um, traffic issues than women do. That's definitely the case. And perhaps that is because, you know, the rallies last a lot longer and they're looking for ways to just to get that that rally to finish. Um, I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely a lot more traffic issues in the men's game, I think. That's interesting. So I'd love to hear about your, some details about your training and, you know, like you don't have to give away secrets, but could you talk to us about, you know, like how much time you spend on the court solo, how much time with your coach, how much time playing, what kind of strength training do you do or cardio or things like yoga or balance or like, how are you breaking up your week? So it makes sense for the game. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So it obviously depends where you are in season. So when I'm at tournaments, obviously my primary focus is the tournament and I'll I'll have a little hit in the morning and then just focus on my match. But if I have a little training block, I def I do about two to three sessions a day, uh, six times a week. And then a, normally a Saturday or a Sunday will be a complete rest day where I don't, don't exercise at all apart from maybe going on a walk or something. Um, but yeah, I think perhaps I'm maybe n- notorious on the tour for being 
somebody who like likes to train maybe that little bit extra in terms of the physical side of stuff so I do a lot of fitness work and my fitness work will vary from a ghosting session which for people who don't play squash ghosting is basically playing squash without a ball so you can really work on those like explosive movements um it's a great cardio workout as well I do about two running sessions a week one like continuous run and one interval session where I'm getting like to more the max sprint sessions I'll try and do two strength sessions a week where I'm in the gym like lifting weights but to be honest recently this is I've only been able to get about one in a week because like just because the um the volume of my training has been so high recently um and like I'll do body weight circuits as well so on and then on top of this obviously I'm soloing nowadays most days but it's normally it's normally always tied on to another session. So say if I'm practicing with my coach at 10 o'clock, I'll I'll get there at 9.15 and do a 45 minute solo before that session. So that kind of, you know, warps into, into one session, but solo is something that I've really increased the volume that I do in the past year or so. I try and I I will solo probably every day, but like I said, it might be just for a 20 minute duration. It might be for 45 minutes, but it's often um, just tied on to another session. Um, I'll get a feeding session with my coach at least twice a week, sometimes three times. And then I'll, you know, have match practice. I'll be doing drills sessions with um, other training partners. So yeah, normally two to three sessions a day, six times a week. And I don't I definitely do a lot more fitness than other people like that normally you know at least four or five times a week I'm doing some sort of fitness session on top of my squash so yeah it's a lot it takes up it a lot of a the lot. day yeah <laughs> and and what are you doing when you're doing the solo sessions um well I've got quite a few different things that I'm working on at the moment so I like to do target practice um so I like What's to have that? Uh, just like I'll put a target on the court or if if I don't have targets with me I'll just like where the floorboards are say I'll give myself a visual target so five floorboards and I'll set myself a timer for two minutes and I'll see how many shots I can get in that target in two Mm. minutes Um, do that in different areas of the court if I'm working on my drop shots I'll just stand there and literally feed myself drop shots for 20 minutes so there's a lot of stuff a lot of stuff you can do in a solo so yeah, it just depends on what I'm working on that week, really. If it's like, if I'm recently, I've been working on um like lifting the ball a bit more. So I'll spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes just literally hitting drives, but very, very high. See how high and like loopy I can get them, stuff like that. So it will change every day. Like I'll focus on something different every day just to keep it interesting. And I like keeping my solo practices short. Like and when you tie them into another session, that's where I think you can keep the intensity. Because otherwise, I used to just go on court for a solo and like look at the clock and be like, okay, I'm going to solo for an hour, and all I'd be thinking of was right, I've got 50 minutes left, 45 <laughs> minutes, you know, and, and, and I'm like right. hitting balls, but there's absolutely no purpose to it. So I think if you can just focus on something for a short duration of time, then that's maybe the the deliberate practice is definitely more effective. <laughs> right. You said you do a lot of physical training, you know, like what would you say would is the most important aspect of your training? That's a good question. So uh, it's a good question. To be honest, for me, I think the technical side at the moment is probably the most important because my game is kind of um, made by the physical side of it. So 
I think on the PSA World Tour, I'm probably known for being one of the fastest and fittest players, which I love. And I want to keep that side of my game. You know, I want that to be my super strength still. But I don't actually need to like improve that side of my game as much as I need to improve the squash side of my game. So although I like, although I'm like, I I can't stop (laughs) doing the fitness sessions and I love it, I definitely have had a mental switch to like really focusing and like reining in on the technical side of things um and like I said another player might need to improve their speed or fitness and so for them the physical training will be more important you know um but for me at the moment there's a big kind of switch to really focusing on the technicals and the squash (laughs) well you know it's interesting I mean that's a great segue because when I was prepping to talk to you, I read or heard on video so many people saying some version of Gina's not the most talented player out there, <laughs> but she has the tenacity and she really fights for points and she's very physical. It sounds like you think that's an accurate assessment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I think I, I, I'm definitely very lucky. I suppose my talent might not be in like the skill, but the talent, I suppose, is... Um, kind of my, my physicality. Um, like I said, when I was younger, I was like a competitive runner. So I've always had that advantage over my opponents since I was a young, young girl. And I love that aspect of my game. And, you know, I think I can really scare people with my physicality because they know I'll be able to chase down every ball and can carry on as long as it takes. So yeah, the squash side is something that I'm continuously developing because when I was younger, I was so able to just rely on being fast and I could just kind of get to every ball and hit it hard and I would win the match that way. (laughs) But now that I'm like top eight in the world, if I want to kind of get to the top, top in the world, then I'm going to have to get my technical side just as strong as my physical side. (laughs) Does the assessment bug you? I mean, I think I would be sort of like, I'll show you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It it doesn't, it doesn't bug, it doesn't bug me. But I like, I think because I was speaking to this about someone, I think because that my physicality is like such a strength of mine, I think that my squash gets overlooked a bit. Just like Nora El Shabini, for example, she's the number one in the world. And her technical side is so incredible like the shots she can do are like so incredible that no one actually gives her credit for how good a mover she is you know like you just overlook that because there's such a strength in another part of her game so everyone says oh Shabini needs to improve her movement but actually she's an extremely good mover it's just because her the skills that she possess are so strong that you overlook it. And I, I think that's kind of what happens with me because I am fast and I'll like run around and get to every ball. I think people overlook that, like the shots that I can produce as well. So yeah, like you said, I do want to show people that my squash is kind of definitely, you know, getting there. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, I suppose, you know, I wouldn't have been able to get to the top eight in the world if I couldn't, play squash well so well I have to remember that (laughs) yeah it's also interesting that you mentioned that you know initially because you were so physical that was what was winning your games and so I mean like you know like we, we yeah you know like we rise to our our best asset I would think definitely yeah and like looking like looking back I definitely wish I did more solo practice in the technical side of things but I think especially as a female athlete like 
it's so hard for women um, and you know the, the women's game is incredible and like the athleticism that everyone has is unbelievable but as a junior and as if you're outside that kind of top 50 top 100 level the physicality drops off a lot which it doesn't in the men so that's why I was just able to rely on my physicality because I wouldn't really have you know and I did that for so long and where I didn't know I was going to go pro I kind of didn't really bother to kind of improve the other aspects of my game so that's kind of been nice to focus on that the past few years since I graduated from uni. Well now that you're you know in the top eight how can you and and as you said you know in that level everybody is good at everything you know Mm -hmm. maybe some people are a little bit better at one thing or another but so you're in that top eight how are you going to be able to or how are you taking advantage of your physicality when you know that everybody else is also very fit? Yeah that's that's another great question because that's what I've noticed now that I'm I'm in the top eight I've got to where I am obviously because of my squash but because of my physicality as well but if I want to beat the top three, especially the top three, are, I think a bit of a level above everyone else at the moment. Um, like I've beaten everyone else besides the top three. It's, it comes down to like squash and accuracy because it doesn't matter how fast I am. Like when I'm playing against Shabini, for example, every single one of her length is just dying in the back corner. And so I just, I can't even get the rallies long enough to make it physical, you know, against somebody who is that good. So it's all just going to come down to keep working on um, what I'm doing and just try and make everything more accurate. Because at that top level, if you hit the side wall and the ball doesn't, the ball lands, you know, in the middle of the court rather than the back of the court, then it's just the rally's basically over because they're just so skillful and so good. So yeah, it's just about continuing to try and be as accurate as possible and kind of not give not give them any <laughs> any angles to play with. Right, right. We've sort of touched on it a little bit, but are you doing anything to train your mental game and your tactical game? Uh yeah, well, I'm England squash are very supportive and I've um got a sports psychologist through England squash who I talk to a fair amount, you know, about all all things sports psychologists talk about and that's been really helpful. But I, it's something that I really need to start doing. But the, the meditation and stuff, I think, is something that I can really bring into my game and my um, tournament preparation because I definitely get stressed in tournaments and I just think I need something to calm me down a little bit more than what I'm doing now. So I really want to I've been reading a lot about breath work and everything. So I really need to start implementing that into my kind of preparations, I guess. So I'm, I'm, my history is endurance athlete and, you know, like oh, I totally, cool. yeah, I cyclist and I totally understand how you train to push yourself, how you push yourself in competition and sort of physically going beyond limits and training for that kind of physicality, both, you know, mentally and physically, but squash seems very different to me. And I don't understand sort of the competitive mentality in a sport like squash, where you're face to face, as you said, in the same mm. space, like what is that like? What, like, what does competition mean for you? And what does it look like to be mentally strong? Mm. Yeah, it must be so different. Because as a, I suppose, as a cyclist, you're, of course, you're battling against other people, but it's like really about that mental push with yourself, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Um, whereas for squash, I mean, the tactics are going to change depending on who you're playing, depending on the conditions of the day outside that, because that will determine whether the ball is going to be bouncy, whether it's going to be cold, it's going to depend on where you are in the world because, you know, that will change the conditions of the court. And 
being I don't being mentally tough is such like a it's such like a vague term isn't it like every I suppose when you say mentally tough it gives connotations with to somebody who you know will never give up and will fight to the last point but everyone's going to do that at this level of course they are I think the mentally tough people are the ones who can find a way to win when they are down and out and they you know the scoreline is against them everything's against them but they just find that you know it, it sounds so vague but they just they're able to find a way the pressure's on them but they nothing really phases them I guess um but it, yeah I, I I agree the term mentally tough is it can just mean so many different things to different people I think but when you're on a squash court you're, you're battling against not only your opponent but you're battling against the conditions and how you're feeling that day there are so many aspects to it and it's just about how to get the best out of yourself each and every day and how to you know put put together your game that you want to implement yeah just (laughs) it's so easy to lose concentration and give your opponent a few tins and a few like wrong tactical shots so it's I suppose the mentally tough ones are those who can reset and catch themselves before they let a game go let two games go you know so it's just it's yeah it's hard (laughs) when you get onto the court are you focusing on certain things when I'm in a tournament I'm focused completely on my tactics for that day you know like I'll have a game plan I'll watch my opponent before I play I'll have a game plan and that's exactly what I'll be focused on and you know those tactics might not be might not be working and then I'm gonna have to figure it out for myself when I'm on there but I'm very focused on how am I going to win this match you know I don't care if I'm playing well if I'm not playing well like what do I need to do to win this match you know and that's basically all I'm focused on I'm not focused on oh my technique for the drop nothing like that obviously when I'm on there it's just purely how am I going to win I mean in some ways it still sounds like you're self-focused like the endurance athlete in some ways yeah I think you have to be self-focused because once once you start you have to, of course, realise what your opponent is doing and how they're kind of getting into the positions to win points. But if you're focused on them, then you're not, in my experience, then you're not able to give your best self. Because if I'm playing at my best, then I would you know, be confident that I can beat the majority of people on tour if I'm at my best. You know, So it's like, how am I going to get to play my best in this situation? You know? Mm-hmm. so yeah I think you do have to be very very self-focused um and when I haven't been like when I have played I keep mentioning Norel Shabini I'm just thinking about her and how good her shots are how how well she's executing this how well she's executing that and I'm not imposing any of my game at that point because I'm just thinking about her so I think you do have to be very self-focused with obviously probably not as much as an endurance athlete because I'm still thinking about their strengths and stuff but yeah like I said once you start focusing on them so much then I think you you lose your your advantages what happens when the pressure rises yeah pressure is a horrible thing isn't it like (laughs) I mean the classic saying pressure is a privilege which it is and that is a great way to view it but it's difficult it's really difficult and I've kind of had it my whole life really with I was always, you know, number one in England, uh, in Europe, and then I went to Harvard, 
played at the top of the ladder there. So it's a good situation. I'm used to it, but I definitely find it difficult and I get a lot less stressed, obviously, as the tournament goes on and I've reached the latest ages because at that point, losing is more acceptable. Whereas in the beginning of the tournament, you know, losing isn't acceptable for me, which isn't always a healthy mindset at all. (laughs) But I'm never, ever complacent because I know that I could lose to anyone if I'm not like completely focused. And because I view losing as such a horrible thing, which, of course, I've lost before and it's been awful and, you know, and you get over it. Of course you do. So I still have that perspective that it's not actually the end of the world, but it's definitely something I've always had a fear of losing since I was I was a young girl. And that to go off on a little tangent, that stems from my running career when that's why I gave up running the endurance uh, sport because everyone when I was from nine years old was telling me how I'm always going to win every race why are you nervous you're going to win so easily don't be silly and it just it honestly messed messed me up a little bit and I just couldn't couldn't deal with the pressure of it at all so I had to give it up (laughs) yeah the the nerves can certainly mess you up it's awful isn't it I don't know you probably experienced that as well it's horrible yeah it's horrible (laughs) I sure hope you are enjoying this episode with pro squash player Gina Kennedy. If you are, please consider supporting the show with a cup of wonderful coffee. These days I'm making pour-overs at home using coffee from a local roaster. All cups of coffee go to editing and producing this podcast, and therefore to increasing the amount of media coverage for female athletes and women in sport. The most recent study that came out found a rise in media coverage And that rise in coverage primarily came from small enterprises like this one. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash hearher or to the support tab on hearhersports.com to help us out and really make a difference. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Now let's return to the conversation with professional squash player, Gina Kennedy. So I want to talk about like competition days and, and what they look like. I mean, what are you doing for prep? What are you doing for warm up? What do you do between the games? How do you stay like where you want to be? Yeah. So normally um, in on a competition day, I like to have a little hit in the morning. And that depends. Obviously, if I'm playing at eight o'clock at night, I'll have a hit around 11 or 12. Probably if I'm playing earlier, then I'll I'll hit earlier. But I like to have a little hit normally 20-25 minutes in the morning with either a practice partner or with a coach just to have a little run around get the body moving 
just feel feel like the court that I'm playing on a bit more. And then I like to try and take my mind off things. So I'll go back, shower, have some food, try and like watch Netflix or whatever. I'll try and sleep if I can, but I'm such a bad napper. <laughs> but I'll like lay down, close my eyes. And then maybe about an hour before I'm going to leave for the venue, I'll, I'll like pull up squash TV, start watching my opponent. So the night before I'll have called my coach and we'll have arranged a game plan. And then I'll pull up Squash TV, start writing notes and then just get everything in my head clear. Often I'll call my coach again and I'll have a game plan written down and then obviously have a few few specific notes that I'm like have in my head. And then I'll head to the venue normally an hour and a half before because I like to be there, relax a little bit and I'll start warming up about 45 minutes before I play. I'll do a lot of activation, a lot of, you know, glute activation, hip activation all that stuff and then yeah just the the normal warm-up um and then try and at that point I'm quite I don't really like to some it's everyone's so different obviously their personality some people before a match are just like able to have a chat and like have a laugh and I'm very like because I'm quite an anxious player I guess I'm very like I like to be alone I like to just be in my own thoughts and get ready get really fired up and then yeah I step onto the court and play. <laughs> are you chitty chatty with your opponents? Are you friendly with them? Uh, I, I yeah. When we would, I'd always say hi. I'll always smile at them. Definitely, but it depends who I'm playing. If I'm playing a really good friend, then it's hard, hard not to be. And that's where I struggle because I suppose I'm known to be a little. I don't know. If people please is the right word, but if somebody engages with me, I I will completely engage back just because that's what I'm like so that's why I like to take myself away because I know that I can easily get out of the zone if I am around especially my opponent you know if they're somebody who likes to chat and they start chatting to me I'll be like oh yeah um and I don't <laughs> like that <laughs> you know but I, and I can't help myself right. so that's why I kind of like to take myself away just so I can like get into the zone because <laughs> if somebody starts chatting I I would never like tell them oh I'm, I'm trying to focus I'd always be like yeah like. <laughs> right. um so yeah but that's just that's just me <laughs> well it's it's actually me too I struggle really? with what to do when I walk on the court and I know the person and then like I need to go into you know like Jedi mode or something yeah definitely and I think people especially my friends they know that I will like ease off a bit if they start laughing and chatting with me I'll like lose focus a little bit so it's hard to like it's always about that balance, isn't it? You know, of the arousal, but the relaxation. And I don't know if anyone's ever going to be able to figure out how they get into that, that zone, because when it happens, it's amazing, but it doesn't always happen, does it? So no. it's just about trying to get as close to that kind of feeling as possible. I love that you mentioned that you watch squash TV before matches. I mean, like, what an amazing thing mm. greater sports coverage for women is for even the athletes. Oh, it's it's huge. It's so lucky and it's getting better and better. You know, there's quite deep analysis now on the matches. So they'll tell us where they hit their winners from, how many unforced errors they hit from certain areas. So you really get a good insight into your opponent, which is great because obviously you get that in tennis. You've had that in tennis for so many years. And now that we are getting access to it is brilliant. Um, on the flip side, I rose to top 10 in the world pretty quickly. I think. Um, 
And that's because I wasn't playing on squash TV. Not because, but a, a big reason is I wasn't playing on squash TV. So no one could really watch me play that much. So they didn't know what I was doing and how to figure it out. And like I said, because I'm quite physical, everyone was a bit shocked with, oh my God, she gets onto the ball so quickly, blah, blah, blah. But as I started playing at these higher events more and more, people started watching me more and more and therefore, you know, started figuring out my weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a great thing that on the flip side, people can really start studying you and start figuring you out. <laughs> do, do you listen to your own coverage? Yes, I do. I think I struggle to watch when I feel like I've had a bad performance, especially with the commentators. So I try and like put it on mute, but oh. I, me and, me and my, my coach always makes me watch it back, which is good, obviously, because that's where you learn the most. But if I've won and I felt I've played great, then I love watching it back. <laughs> but if sure. I'm lost, yeah, but if I've lost, I'm like, I put it off. I put it off for ages. <laughs> right, right. So you're in season now, right? And so where are you? Yeah, so I'm actually, I was in Zurich a couple of weeks ago. Now I'm back home in London. And this okay. Saturday I head off to Singapore and I will be in Asia for a few weeks. I'm playing one event in Singapore, then two events in Hong Kong. So wow. yeah, so it's been a busy season so far, but a good one. And yeah, I'm excited to head over to that part of the world. Do you like that sort of, you know, life on the tour kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, I do. I I love it. I love competing. Of course I do. Um, but you know, it's hard, you know, being away from family a lot, being away from your friends and like your routine. I'm, I love my routine at home. So even being able to control what I'm doing, I, I like that. Whereas when you're at a tournament, you can't, you can't control your food. You can't sometimes control who you're sharing a room with. And it's just, you know, you get thrown into an uncomfortable place sometimes, but I do love it. I've got really good friends on the tour and there's no better feeling than, um, you know, playing, playing well and everything in training coming to fruition. So I do love that side of it, but the traveling is obviously not enjoyable. The jet lag is tough. Um, you know, you can fly all the way somewhere and then lose first round and that's <laughs> right. not enjoyable at all. But, but yeah, it's, 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 it's good. I, I definitely enjoy being a pro athlete. One of the things that I remember most is discovering what people ate all over the world for mm -hmm. breakfast. Mm -hmm. I love all the <laughs> breakfasts. Yes. Yeah. I I know. I, that's why, because I'm such a creature of habit. So I'll have um, two poached eggs on toast every day. And obviously when you go to Asia, they have like noodles for breakfast. Right. So. <laughs> right. so I'm going to need to be a bit inventive, I think. <laughs> right. Well, even if you go to like Denmark, they have, you know, like meat and fish for breakfast. I know it's crazy. They have like ham and stuff yeah. and cheese, don't they? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> right. So, you know, I want to talk about goals and I'm assuming that one of your big goals is the Olympics that was just announced. Yes, definitely. Um, that's just an absolute dream that the squash is in the Olympics. And I will definitely, I'm 26 now, so I'll be 31 in 2028. So I think hopefully, uh, historically at least, um, females seem to peak or at least do pretty well around that age. So I'm hoping everything can kind of line up for me and I'll still be British number one, I guess, at that point. But it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. <laughs> there's a lot of young talent coming up and obviously I think there's only going to be two or three spots for women in Great Britain so that's definitely definitely my main goal now <laughs> why is it so important that squash is in the Olympics now 
I think, you know, for the Olympics, any any sport in the Olympics, I think that should be the pinnacle of their sport. And that is exactly what it will be for squash. Um, of course, we've got the World Championships, the British Open, but I think the Olympics will 100% be the pinnacle of the game, which is why it's so important that it got in. Other sports such as football and tennis, you know, I'm sure people would rather win Wimbledon than win the Olympics or win the World Cup than the Olympics, which is why it maybe doesn't mean as much to them. But I think if you ask any squash player, they would much rather have an Olympic gold medal than a world championship. So that's why I think it's really important for us. And also just in terms of getting exposure, I think it's the one, we have the Commonwealth Games here in England and that's great exposure for us. But the Olympics is obviously a worldwide event and just being, just getting people to kind of see what we're about uh, I think is really cool and it's a great it's an exciting opportunity just to grow the game both at grassroots level and at the professional level as well trying you know hopefully funnel some more money into the game which is always what we need. I'm curious to see what happens after the Olympics in LA like you know do more people like squash do they yeah get around it I mean what happens it's, it's I know yeah I'm, I, it's going to be so interesting but I think definitely in the lead up to it we've got a big big opportunity to increase increase the popularity of the game at that grassroots level you know any kid who's a good athlete is going to want to be an Olympian and now that that is an option as a squash player I think it's hopefully just going to continue to grow the game and in America especially they're doing so well with that grassroots level of squash and I'm sure they'll continue to grow it especially because it's going to be a home games (laughs) right right has Great Britain laid out sort of the path to get on the team yet no, they haven't. And um, yeah, so I don't know anything about it. I, I've heard rumours that I heard firstly that there's going to be two people, then I heard there's going to be three. So yeah, I'm really not sure how it will be. But I'm sure it's going to be similar to the Commonwealth Games in that they'll take the top two or three like world rankings. So whatever your whatever your world ranking is in Britain, they'll probably take those. So I think it's all going to be based on world ranking, but I could be wrong. <laughs> right. Uh, before the Olympics, because again, as you mentioned, that's not until 28. What are you? What are your goals? What are you doing? What are you focusing on? Thinking about? Yeah, so my goals, um, long term goals, are definitely just like a lot of other people. Definitely want to try and get to eventually world number one one day. Um, win the world championships would just be incredible. That's always a long term goal. Whether it's achievable or not, who knows? But I'm definitely going to do everything I can to achieve that. In the short term, I want to kind of break that top five. So I got up to a highest ranking of number six a few weeks ago, and I really want to break into the top five in the world. And that's going to come from taking my chances in these next few tournaments. I've got quite a good few opportunities coming up. So like I said, if I can keep my body fit and healthy and focus on what I've been developing, then um, I'm hoping that I can get a few good results and then the ranking will take care of itself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely want to try and break that top five, hopefully this season, but we'll see. So, and this season ends when? Um, it ends in June, and uh, June, yeah. Got it. And then are you good at taking rest? Or are you going to take a rest? <laughs> I'm not good at taking rest, really, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I would definitely, yeah. I had the Commonwealth Games last year, so this year was the first time I'd taken a break for like, three years because we had COVID before that and I took 10 days off squash which was nice but obviously I was still doing my I got into spin classes and cycling a lot and other stuff (laughs) 
but yeah taking a break off squash is definitely necessary very good well thank you is there anything that we didn't get to that that you want to talk about no that was really cool I don't normally get asked about my kind of personal routines and stuff so yeah I I think that was really interesting to talk about and obviously I agree like seeing how everyone operates everyone's completely different so what I like to eat and what I like to do and prepare is going to be completely different to what other people do and I think because you're an athlete probably that's why you find it so interesting because I do as well I love kind of hearing about how other people operate in their in order to get themselves into that high performance mindset so yeah I really enjoyed that chat so thank you oh thank you do you learn from other athletes? You said you like to hear what they're doing. Do you get stuff from them or do you say, okay, I don't do it that way? Or Yeah, I definitely. I like, um, I listen to like a few podcasts on high performance and I, I love hearing what other athletes do and how they train. Like I'm so interested in, even in different sports, I'd love to hear about, you know, what your training was like and stuff. Not necessarily so I could replicate it, obviously, but I'm just so curious to see how other sports operate and, what the culture of different sports are because I think yeah like my boyfriend's a professional footballer so a soccer player and the way they train is just so different to the way squash players train and I just find it such an interesting thing to talk about yeah yeah well cool thank you so much this has been great I really appreciate it and thank you so much for taking the time thank you so much Thank you, Gina, for being on the show, and a big thank you to you for listening. I know there is a lot to listen to out there, so I appreciate you choosing to spend your time with Hear Her Sports Podcast. If any of you are curious about squash and want to know more, I am more than happy to talk about it with anyone, so drop me a line to get us started. On our website, there are easy-to-find ways to reach me, sign up for the newsletter, listen to all of the episodes, browse through show notes, and to support the show through Bookshop and buy me a coffee. Go to hearhersports.com. Be sure to tell everyone you know about what you heard today. If you are new to Hear Her Sports, a big welcome to you, and there are lots of former guests to discover, like squash player Amanda Sobey, soccer player Tenny Charles, and Raquel Velez, the founder of Alpine Parrot, maker of outdoor apparel for sizes 14 through 30. Hear Her Sports is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts, for more information or to check out the other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. I just love sharing all these stories told by female athletes. I am super glad you are here and hope you got something from the episode to motivate your own training or maybe start squash or any other new sport. Thank you for listening and for being a part of the growth of women's sports. Until next time, bye-bye. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, 
This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!